Good morning. Welcome this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. Uh, normally, you see me up here leading the singing, the worship time uh, before the Lord. And um, if you don't know me, my name's Matt Trumbull. Uh, and along with being the, the worship leader, generally speaking, thank you, Craig, by the way, for, for leading this morning. Uh, I am also an elder here uh, at Big Woods Bible Church. And so with that, as Tim is in Guatemala, um, I'm filling in for him today. And I can see word has gotten out, but you guys are here and you are important. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to preach the message this morning. I was, I was hoping to preach on Peter this morning. Uh, however, it turns out that this would have been the concluding Sunday. And I really didn't feel right about Tim preaching for how many months now? Six, eight, a year, I don't even remember. Um, on Peter for me to preach the concluding sermon on that. And so I assume Tim will do that next week uh, or maybe a week after um, when he returns. And so, so I've been led to preach on, on something else. And it's really something that, that's been on my heart for, for quite a while now. Um, what I'm about to preach on may be challenging for some. And so I encourage you to hear me from beginning to end on this and get the whole sermon in. Um, and also to hear, please hear, please hear, the grace and mercy that is offered through Jesus Christ as I preach this sermon. Now earlier this year, here we go, earlier this year, something, something happened. Oh, I do have a remote here. All right. um, something happened that had many in this nation cheering. Even some of my family and friends and some churches were celebrating this event. And, and it really caught my attention, and I began to wonder and pray, you know, how as a believer in Jesus Christ do I react to this? Now, of course, what I'm talking about is the Supreme Court's decision, which in essence legalized gay marriage in all 50 states. And so what should our reaction be? To this decision? And more specifically, what should our reaction be to the gay uh, community and those with same-sex attraction? Should we go all Westboro Baptists and hold up signs that proclaim that God hates gays? Of course, in more offensive ways than that. Should we, should we ridicule them and make statements like, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. All the while, having an attitude of disgust. I mean, this is America. Maybe we should just be like, you know, live and let live and kind of keep a, a distance from that. Or maybe, like some, we should accept them as this being part of God's plan and celebrate it in the church. These are confusing times with seemingly no clear direction on what is right and what is wrong, and it's in these times especially that we need to go to the source of all wisdom and see what God has to say about it in his word that he has revealed to us. And before we do that, let's pray, because we need to cover this in prayer. Father God, you are good, and you are holy, and your ways are perfect, and you have revealed your truth in your word. And so, God, today, as we look at what you have said to us on this, would you soften our hearts, open our minds to understand what you have for us, 
God, would you guide and direct me that I would speak with sensitivity and in love? Would you guide and direct what I say, that what I say would be your truth and not my own feelings or thoughts? God, in, in this, please be glorified. Lead and direct. I desperately need you. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Uh, this is a, a vast topic, and I'm going to touch on it today. Okay? And there will be opportunity uh, during the Q&A Sunday school for you to ask questions if it's appropriate in a large group. And I do want to lay this out here. here. Uh, I am available uh, if it's a, it's a private conversation you need. So please uh, know that. All right? um, so what does I'm, I'm going to touch. And so I, I want to I start with uh, the source. And I'm going to put the scriptures up here, but you can feel free to turn. And that looks bigger on my computer than it does here. Um, but I'm going to start in Matthew 19. And this is Jesus preaching, uh, or teaching, excuse me, on, on marriage and divorce. If we put this in context, uh, Jesus is, is coming along and, and some Pharisees approach him and ask him about, is it okay to divorce? All right? And in his answer, he gives us a picture of what marriage is supposed to be. And so we look at this in Matthew 19, starting at verse 4. And he, that being Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who has created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. I love what Jesus is doing here in modeling for us. Because he's God, he could have just stated what the truth is. But he models for us how we answer difficult questions. What does he do? He goes back to the word of God. And he's referencing Genesis 2 here. And he reminds us, this was the plan from the beginning. Okay? And there's a couple things I want you to notice here. The first thing is notice that in the beginning, God created male and female. He created two distinct genders. And then we have a key word. And therefore, therefore, they get married and become one. Okay? A oneness that is not to be separated. Okay? That's another sermon. Here, though, we see a link between marriage and the two genders. The creation of male and female, therefore, they are to be married. Man and woman were created to become one with each other. If we had time, I would, I would love to go on, and this is what I'd rather be preaching on, uh, but about the oneness between a man and a woman in marriage, that, that oneness that represents on this earth our triune God. That oneness that allows us to fill the directive of God, to, to fill the earth and raise up the next godly generation. That oneness that allows us to be a help to our spouse. That oneness that is a beautiful picture of Christ's love and sacrifice for his church. To 
God has a beautiful plan for marriage, but as he lays it out, it's between a man and a woman. And as you can see in the end, it is not to be separated. And Jesus continues on in Matthew 19 with the seriousness of the commitment of marriage. And, and I love this response from his disciples. After Jesus goes on about describing that seriousness, his disciples say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're so intimidated by the seriousness, like maybe we shouldn't get married, okay? Which um, probably not a, necessarily a, a correct response to that uh, when God calls us to something. But, um, but it just does emphasize. But, but then catch what Jesus says back to that. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, I don't think that Jesus is advocating surgery for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? What he is talking about here is celibacy. Okay? What he is talking about is celibacy. So in the context of these verses, Jesus is saying there is marriage between a man and a woman, or there is celibacy. There are no other alternatives given. Now remember the context. The, 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 the disciples say, maybe we shouldn't get married. Well, Jesus doesn't say, well, okay, well, here's something else you can do. Okay? The context, it says there is marriage between a man and a woman, or there is nothing else. We can see there is no room in this teaching for a homosexual relationship. But let's be careful, though. There is no room for any other kind of intimate relationship outside of marriage. To avoid Jesus' teachings on marriage and divorce, we can't just live with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We can't have multiple short-term relationships or marry multiple spouses. He is saying that the only way to live a godly life in this area is to be married as he defines it or to be celibate. I also hear Jesus' compassion in these verses because he states not everybody can receive this instruction. It is a difficult thing he may be calling some to. But there is hope in Jesus. In Mark 10, 29 through 31, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Christ reminds us that living for the kingdom of God, no matter what he calls us to, is worth it. It may be difficult. He asks us to give up. And he also says we'll receive persecution. But it is 
it is worth it. Because whatever we get up, give up for his sake, we will receive a greater reward. Even eternal life. I do want to make a note here. If we who do not have an attraction to the same gender look down our nose at those that do and say, boy, they have a lot to give up in order to serve Christ. We're missing the point of the gospel because Christ calls all of us to call him Lord and surrender our lives completely to him. And that means giving up everything in our lives, the bad things and the good things, as a sacrifice to him and his will. We are all called to give up our all and accept Jesus as our everything. So this clear, I want to give one more scripture as it relates to this matter. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor the, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. As we see in these scriptures, there is a spiritual component to the practice of homosexuality. It is a component that leads to destruction. The scripture is clear here, and it is serious. There's two things I want to note, though. One, Homosexual practice is not the only thing on this list. Many of us would fall into one of the categories up here. And if you don't, there are several other similar lists that I could put up on the screen that would capture us all. Okay? Homosexual practice is not something so much more vile and disgusting that there's a special place in hell for it. Okay? It is one of a long list of practices where we reject God's plan, and choose our own way. Second thing I want to note. As many people with same-sex attraction identify completely with the homosexual lifestyle, so much so that the primary component of our identity is that they are gay. That's why cliche sayings like, love the sinner but hate the sin, can be so offensive. Because that sin that we are hating is who they interpret themselves to be. And that's why I love the last part of this verse. He washes us. He makes us new. He gives us a new identity. He can change us. So if our identity is liar or thief or adulterer, or even if our identity is smart, or rich, or gay. He gives us a new identity as a child of God, an heir to the kingdom of God, a saint, a follower of Christ. There is hope. Now there may be some here 
that are attracted to the same gender. Know that this attraction is not sin. This attraction is not something that you should hide in shame or fear of rejection, particularly here. Because we live in a fallen world, all of us are drawn to things that are outside or counter to the will of God. This attraction is called temptation. Please hear this, voice, this verse of hope. In Hebrews four fifteen and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, Christ was tempted and did not sin. Temptation cannot be sin. The more blessed thing is he understands what we are going through. So as I said it before, please don't let shame keep you from Christ. We are all in desperate need of his grace and mercy. As I was studying this topic, I came across an author's lament. And he said he wished churches were more like waiting rooms than job interviews. See, when we go to a job interview, we put our best foot forward. We try and make ourselves look good. You know, what's your biggest flaw? Well, it's not going to be something that's a real flaw, right? When you do a job interview. However, in doctor's offices, uh, if you're smart... Okay? You'll let them know what's ailing you. There is no pretense in a doctor's office. See, in small groups and one-on-one, -on -one, we need to let each other know what's ailing us. We need to let it be known what's drawing us away from God's perfect plan in our lives, even when it might be uncomfortable. We need to create a culture here where all of us, regardless of what we are wrestling with, are free to open up and expect acceptance. We must be free to open up and expect acceptance and expect love and expect truth and expect accountability in return. So then what's our response to this? How do we minister in this world? Well, in reality, we as a church, we've already laid out what our response to this is. We have two statements that represent how we minister the gospel. Our mission statement, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And our vision for what we would do as a church is to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives, family, and the community are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. First thing we need to see is that we must love God with our everything. We must submit to his truth, to what he has called us to in his word, regardless of what might seem right to us. 
We must submit to what he's called us to in his word, regardless of what might seem right to us. He has to be primary in our lives. And as we sung today, and we know in our hearts, he is worthy of that. The second thing we need to do is love our neighbor. And how we do that is really in our vision statement. We build relationships so that we can tell and demonstrate the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Relationship is exceedingly important. How many people who actively participate in the homosexual lifestyle would be positively affected by someone spouting off every scripture that speaks against homosexuality the moment they walk into this building? Hi, welcome to Big Woods. I see that you're a homosexual. Let me tell you how your life is wrong. Is that an effective method for sharing the gospel? We need to be careful in how we speak truth. It needs to be couched in the relationship. The other thing I, I see is, is what, about, what about protest signs? How many people actively participating in the homosexual lifestyle will walk by a protest sign and go, oh, gee, my life is wrong. I should change that. Think about that. Sometimes I wonder with stuff like that, are, are we more concerned with winning our country back than we're concerned with the souls of individuals who are in desperate need of the gospel? And so therefore, we must minister in the context of relationships. We must come alongside of people and get involved in their lives because they are valuable. We must be willing to listen and hear what people have to say. By the way, even though same-sex attraction, homosexual lifestyle, gay marriage is becoming more and more accepted, it is still difficult for many people to open up about that. And if someone shares with you that aspect of their lives, they're opening a door to a very personal part of their lives. And so we need to honor that, that they have been willing to open themselves to us. We also need to remember that we form relationships with people because they are valuable. All people are created in the image of God. And so we don't form relationships as projects. We form relationships because people are valuable. We don't discard relationships because it looks like they're never going to respond to the gospel. We don't throw away people and stop investing in them because our timeline is not being fulfilled. We must minister in the context of relationships. Our relationships, however, need to glorify God. And I think this is the toughest one. Because we really should not participate in activities that do not honor God for the sake of a relationship. We shouldn't participate in activities that don't honor God for the sake of that relationship. He must be primary. As an example, as difficult and as awkward as it may be, if an unmarried couple, whether they're gay or straight, 
is staying overnight in my house. They're sleeping in separate rooms. It's uncomfortable, but I cannot participate in something that God does not honor. Along those lines, as hard as it might be, and particularly with someone that I love, I can't participate or celebrate a gay wedding because that's not what God has lined up as marriage. Our relationships must honor and glorify God. But remember, and please remember, that Jesus was accused often of eating with sinners. Christ was involved in the lives of people. God is honored when we participate in life, sharing and living the gospel with those that do not follow him. It is essential for us to be involved in the lives of the people around us, eating together, playing together, shopping together, talking together, drinking coffee together, etc. All of these things are aspects of life that we need to be involved in with other people, regardless of where they are. Regardless if they will never agree with us. We must love people because God has told us to. People are made in the image of God and therefore they are valuable. We also need to remember that it is the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. It's not our wisdom or our efforts or our witty sayings or our condemnation that changes lives. It's God using us to show his love and his truth and his hope to the world around us, which is in desperate need and for his glory and not for our own. I know I've only touched on the surface of this topic. It is a complex issue that gets more and more complex because of the culture that we live in. I missed that. We're good. My encouragement to you as we go out today is one that you stand on the truth, that you trust God enough to believe what he has said to us, that he has a better way, that what he has called us to is worth it. It is worth it. Also recognize that as we read in past weeks in 1 Peter 4, that the world won't understand why you're acting counter to the culture. There are many that would call this message that I just preached hateful. I hope you didn't hear that. They would call this message bigoted. I hope you didn't hear that either. Or just plain wrong. And so as we go out, we need to remember that those relationships are important. And also as we read in 1 Peter 2.12, that we keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That we are cautious about what we say and when we say it. That we speak in love as we speak the truth. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So with that, I encourage you to present the truth as you're in relationship with love, not condemnation. 
and with humility. That we are all sinners. I know I am. I am unworthy. Not, not less unworthy. Many times I feel more unworthy. And we are all in desperate need of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offers hope in any and all situations. Let's pray. Father God, I am inadequate to fully express your complete truth in this complex issue. God, would you have all of us hear only what you want us to hear, but that we would hear what you want us to hear and be obedient to it. God, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high, that lives would be changed, that hope would be revealed through your gospel, your good news to us. We praise you that there is hope for all of us, regardless of where we come from or what we have done or even who we are at this moment. God, you make all things new. There's such hope in that. Make us new. Change us. Mold us. Conform us to the image of your Son. And you are worth it. And that's an understatement. God, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.